Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode, episode 88, we have top motorcycle routes to ride in less than a week. All that and a whole bunch more coming up. Before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people who have helped support Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw with $50 or more this month. Here we go. John Lewis Schneider, Chris Holton, Robert Ogg, Stacy Peel, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Emmaus Moto Tours are in there every month. It's so great to have this kind of support, to have people appreciate what we're doing and step up and support the show because both shows are built on a model of advertising and listener support. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out like we just did there. Anything $10 or more gets you some Adventure Rider Radio stickers. We would love it though if you would sign up for our patron account to get your monthly support. Any amount will help on our patron account. It's all at our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Now, just in case Raw is a new discovery for you, we have another show that we do, our flagship show, Adventure Rider Radio. It comes out every week. Raw comes out once a month. So it comes, Adventure Rider Radio comes out every week, and you can find all the information at adventureriderradio.com. I want to throw in here, the episode is brought to you by Fresh Tracks. Fresh Tracks provides team-building programs for companies and groups. And Cass and Moses, which is a law firm representing injured bikers for over 30 years. Now here we go, Adventure Rider Radio Raw for May 2023. Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio, deep in the wild forests of North America, this is Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular esteemed Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Sam Manicom in the UK. Hello, Sam. Oh, hi, everybody. Um, I have to tell you that all is good here in Exeter, except that it is one of those grey sky, sky places. Today has just been a mad day. We've had thunder and lightning storms and hail and heavy rain, but the weird thing is it's been warm. Get that. But I've got a bunch of friends who are um, from overseas um, traveling in various different parts of the UK and Ireland at the moment, and I feel so sad for them getting hit by this. But they are all the sorts of people that will be finding silver linings um, wherever they're going. So um, Jennifer, Mark, Michelle, David, John and Marco, happy travels to you, mates. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are in Australia in the morning. Good morning, Brian and Shirley. It's very early, very early morning and it's grey and foggy this morning. Good morning, everyone. And look, I've got to say, we had a, a bit of an experience yesterday. Now, I've been travelling up this highway for... 40, 40 plus years and never seen sight. The, uh, the highway being for Australians, the, the colder, colder highway. highway in Victoria. There's a little place, there's a little town called Witchy Proof, which is a funny little name, but that's what it is. And right down the middle of the the main highway is a bit of a divided road through the, through the 60 kilometre and 50 kilometre speed zone is a railway line. I've never seen a train on it. Yesterday, we saw a train on it, and the train crosses the road. So you've actually got to stop, yeah. come to a dead stop on the highway and wait for the train to go across. And it was probably 12 carriages or 15 yeah, carriages. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a stupid. grain train. Now, have you just missed this train up until now over the past 40 years, or is this uh, yeah. the first time you've used the track? It very it very rarely goes on that, ra- on that rail line. It goes from silo to silos uh, in that wheat belt country. 
And um, yeah, it's it's an unusual sight to, to to come through a town on a main highway and see a railway line down the middle, and halfway along that um, that road, it then crosses over. So you've got, <laughs> and trains don't have indicators, so you don't you, know, you don't have the road. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's just blank in front of you. <laughs> trains don't have indicators. If I saw a train with an indicator on, I don't know what I would think. <laughs> 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 Michelle Lamfair is in the Black Hills of South Dakota. Michelle, hello. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Yeah, it's a gorgeous day in the Black Hills. Blue skies, a little bit breezy, but um, almost 70 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, of course. I, I, but yeah, it's a beautiful day here. Fresh snow? Uh, no, not today, thankfully. <laughs> in fact, the last week, maybe almost two weeks, it's been gorgeous here. Just the occasional afternoon shower, but lots of motorcycles out and about. Local riders, and I've actually seen a lot of adventure bikes kind of coming through the Black Hills area, which seems a little bit early, but I think they're taking advantage of some sunny days and dry roads. So, oh, yeah. Very nice. Grant Johnson is in British Columbia. Hello, Grant. Hello, everybody. And we have finally got spring. We've had terrible weather. It's been horrible. And now today it's about 25, 26 out. And the forecast for the next week is everything over 28. Wait a minute. I'm not sure that's a good thing. It's going to be hot. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> but interesting. at least it's not raining. You recognize the fact that spring has started, but you still don't have your timing down for taking that motorcycle apart. Oh, yeah. I've been trying to get a rally tower sorted for my DRZ 400 and, and finally arrived. And it's, there was an issue with one of the components and it's now out at a machinist friend of mine who's remachining a component so that I can get it on. And, and the whole front end of the bike is off. It's it's really mm. sad to look at it. There's just, there's nothing there. There's just an empty steering head. It hasn't even got bearings in it. I got to replace the bearings too. Oh, so you're getting ready for the Dakar for next year? <laughs> no, no, but, oh, yeah, I would have liked to have ridden that. <laughs> I think I'm past it now, though. No, you're not, are you kidding? Everybody's setting records all the time now. You know, maybe That's this is true. the time That's to true. go to, and ride the Dakar. Okay, everybody, Adventure Ride Radio, send in $1,000 each should cover the Dakar entry for me. That's just, you know, just just jot out a check. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's, yeah. it's done. It's, it's underway. It's, now, Grant, what are you going to do yeah. if that actually happened? A whole bunch of money came flooding in and you're going to be sitting there going, uh... I'd actually ride it. You would. I, I'm sure I wouldn't finish, but I'd try. Sure. Yeah. Good man. I, my, my favorite riding ever was the two-day qualifiers for the six days. Absolutely loved that. Just the most fun. Hmm. What was that like? Uh, very hard. Very, uh, it was basically, it's, it's flat out. You follow and you, you could follow the flags and there was somebody directing you in the right direction. And if there was something stupidly dangerous, there'd be a, 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 a flag of some kind. But basically, you just ran as hard and as fast as you could for two days straight. It was awesome. In the woods, you know, it was it was beautiful. And you may or may not have somebody else there to ride with. But every once in a while, you'd pass a guy or somebody else would pass you or whatever on a bigger bike. I rode it all on my Hercules 175, which was just a treat. <laughs> we, we met a guy yesterday. Hey, Grant, we met a guy yesterday who's uh, ridden the Dakar on a quad twice. Oh yes, yeah. good for him. And, um, we were having a chat about it, and I said, "Hey, you know, 
He said, you just got to be careful that bloody trucks. I said, I, th- I thought they had uh, warnings. And they give you warnings? He said, yeah, the bloody Russians don't. They like to scare you. They don't turn it on. <laughs> so they'll come up behind you. They'll just try and blow you away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to be quick. Those warning things don't always work, do they? I was reading um, a couple of books where um, they've actually not worked. And so all of a sudden the riders have found that this big truck's bearing down on him and they take no prisoners, do they? Uh, well, yeah, that's what he mighty said. Big. Wow. Mighty big and mighty fast. Yeah. <coughs> well, definitely high risk. We, we all know that. That's, uh, that's what that race seems to be all about. It's uh, the high risk, yeah. the high stakes. It's so fast, so fast. Respect. You know, you're doing 100, 120 miles an hour in the desert over who knows what coming up next. You've got to be on your game. Mm. That's hard. Nerves of steel. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people realize just how fast it is. You, know, you, you go out for a ride on your own on whatever bike you're riding, and most people never get over 30, 40 miles an hour, 50, 60 K, and they think feel like they're going fast. And man, a good, good rider, like Dakar style rider, they go by you like you're standing still. It's just amazing. Well, well the thing is with it is when you see it, when you see the videos of, of these riders going blasting through the desert and stuff, it looks like it's so easy what they're doing. I mean, they, they look like they're having yeah. a good time. You'll even see them, you know, wave oh, at the, the helicopter or something, you know, as they're whipping all, Yeah, but they're pushing, what, 100 mile an hour? Is that at least, like that? yeah. You know, least, yeah, yeah, yeah. 160K. Yeah, yeah. That's, just, yeah. that's unbelievable, you know, and screaming along through the desert. They're just unbelievable. Yeah. Crazy. So stuff. fun. <laughs> there you go, Greg. You're off. You're on, mate. Okay. Okay. I'll do it. I'll go. <laughs> okay. So now we all know Grant was riding, uh, running the Dakar this coming year. That's not a lot of training time you've got. But uh, so you're going to have to pull things together, start your physical fitness program and, and your regular riding routine. And, the, and as soon as the money starts to come in, we'll get things rolling. Sounds good. Okay. Grant, <laughs> can, can, can we be a fly on the wall when you tell Susan? <laughs> she'd say you're crazy but okay <laughs> she would wouldn't she yeah good on, she, good on her she just told me the other day your focus this year is to get out and ride more wow mm. nice. nice nice you listen now, to there could be another reason for this grant <laughs> I know it's trying to get rid of me I know <laughs> Never, I didn't think about that <laughs> She's obviously nope. a very caring, caring wife, but she maybe needs some me time right. at home. <laughs> well, there's that too. Because you guys both work at home, don't you? Yes, we do, but we're in opposite ends of the house. Shirley's on to something, I think. <laughs> You're right. If, if you do the Dakar, mate, yeah. I'll just got one request. Can I have your GS? <laughs> well, there's a little vote of confidence right there. <laughs> one week. Today we're talking about incredible riding adventures that can be done in one week or less. Uh, I think it's easy to imagine adventure motorcycle travel is that open-ended, multi-month, multi-year traveling. But there's tons of great adventures to be had in shorter time frames. I think we can all agree with that. Some of those we're going to be talking about today. Uh, there's also some real freedoms I was thinking in shorter trips. You know, first, obviously, it's a shorter fr- time frame, but riders can, almost any rider can find, usually find a week to take a, some sort of trip. And uh, of course, I mean, depending on where you have to go for it will make the difference, but it certainly makes it more doable. But a- another would be that because it's a short time frame, you can get probably several of these rides in a year. I don't know. You know, I'm just thinking here. 
So this episode is for anyone considering taking a short break and finding some adventure, food for thought of desirable places in uh, to ride in with one week or less. Now, just before we get going for the scope of the conversation, the week or less is ride time. It doesn't include travel to and from the the location, wherever it is, but a week's riding adventure. So obviously you're going to have to tack some extra time onto that. So we're looking for spectacular rides, no matter where, can be anywhere in the world. You can talk about your own country or somebody else's country, it doesn't matter. And if you want to include shipping tips, if you have any, you know, for a particular country or whatever spot you're talking about or rental situation, all that is good to bring up um, at that time. So I want to begin with Brian and Shirley, maybe Shirley. Let's start with you, Shirley. Um, Take one of your lists and let's start with that. Well, I'm going to start with the shortest one. And for this ride, you need about an hour. An hour? And all I'm going to say to start with is 16A. (laughs) (laughs) And I know Michelle knows exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) This road we discovered in South Dakota, in the Black Hills of South Dakota, when we were there Crikey, 10 years ago now, which is such a shame we haven't been back. And it's the Iron Mountain Road. And it has it has an agenda of its own. It has 314 curves, 14 switchbacks, three tunnels, three pigtails, and four presidents. Ah. It is the most <laughs> awesome... It's a great motorcycle road because it offers you all those curves and a pigtail is something I can't actually explain. You have to look at a photograph of it because it's a road that turns back on itself. Yeah, a bit like a corkscrew. You go through single lane bridges, you go through pine forests, and there is one spot where you come around a corner and there is Mount Rushmore with the four presidents. Right. It is just so much fun and the only people you'll ever find on there are or the only the day we were there i shouldn't say the only people you'll ever find but the day we were there the only people that were on it were other motorcyclists or people in cars that are just wanting to absorb the scenery the road the history of the four presidents seeing mount rushmore was also pretty cool particularly for we australians who would like oh look there's mount rushmore and a lot of the americans are going yeah right whatever but um all i can say and then there as michelle always tells us there are so many good roads in south dakota the needles highway there's lots of others but 16a if you're in that area is a must and it will not take much of your day and there's even though it's narrow roads and stuff there's plenty of places to stop take a photo watch other people come through the narrow bridges in the rock rocks and things like that it's just so much fun i, I love the metrics on this 314 curves 14 switchbacks three tunnels yep. And four presidents. Yep. Very cool. Uh, three pigtails as well. And oh, four presidents. Yeah. Three <laughs> pigtails. The, the pigtails. You can't explain that. Who can explain a pigtail? That's uh, the road turns back on its... Yeah, thanks, yeah, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only because I get to... I'm, I'm very spoiled that I get to ride them every summer multiple times. They are a spiral wooden bridge. So they're actually made from old timbers and they corkscrew, as, as Brian and Shirley, very... W- beautifully described uh, them. They spiral vertically and then one pierces right in through a rock tunnel. And anyway, there's three different pigtail bridges. Um, 
that are on that road. And Shirley, can I just say on behalf of my state and everybody who's ever ridden the Black Hills, thank you, because it it really is a spectacular road. But <laughs> wow, you, you've You've uh, given us a good one, and I'm very pleased. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Michelle. And I have to say that um, being a, a big fan of merchandise, as I am, <laughs> oh yeah, at the at the Iron Mountain Road Cafe, they sell very smart T-shirts, and on the back of the T-shirt is listed 314 curves, 14 switchbacks, three tunnels, and four presidents. So did Perfect. you get the T-shirt? Of course I did. <laughs> Dumb question. That's true. Surely I am absolutely delighted that you've given this recommendation because I'm going to be linking up with Michelle in South Dakota this summer. And that is a road that I haven't brain-picked from her yet. Wow. So oh, really? fantastic. So it sounds cool great. Just, did you get the recommendation from Shirley? Yeah, I know, right? Really. In Australia. <laughs> well, Michelle and I haven't had a, had a chance to have a proper conversation about this yet because I've been dicking around so much with all of the organisation and everything else everywhere else. Um, yeah, but that uh, that conversation is coming. So there's one conversation we don't have to have, Michelle. Thank you, Shirley. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Shirley. The other thing that I'm impressed with is the fact that Shirley kicked it off with a one hour. Does anyone have any shorter than one hour? Because I'll be impressed if you can beat this one. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. Well, you, you didn't say it had to be a week. No, I think it's great. That's why I, I, you, you turned it right in his head. I said I, I said a week or less, and you definitely did less. Yeah. Well done. But there's all the rest of the Black Hills of South Dakota, and as Michelle said, exactly. there's lots of wonderful riding in the area. I've been through there and on 16A, and it's truly magnificent. Well yeah. worth a trip. And it's a lot of people obviously come out to the Black Hills for the Sturgis Rally. That's not the time of year I would recommend to come. But my point is a lot of people that come for the rally really do make a full week of it because from here you can ride to Badlands National Park, Devil's Tower National Monument, um, some of the old west towns like Deadwood. Um, You can ride lots of beautiful twisty roads in the Black Hills, including as, you know, Shirley mentioned, Needles Highway and the King, Iron Mountain Road, um, which we we locals kind of refer to as the uh, tale of the dragon of the west. So it's something Ah. similar. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we beautiful. rode all those roads, Michelle, and they are just fantastic. And we were there the week after uh, two, Bike oh, Week, which was a really after. smart time to yeah. go. Good time to go. <laughs> Perfect. Good <laughs> good planning. Well, Michelle, what do you have? Yeah. What's one of yours? Well, gosh, I don't know how I can top that. <laughs> I mean <laughs> <laughs> with a longer one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, I'll go to two hours. I'm kidding. I, yeah, <laughs> Cheryl's got a, a whopper for sure. Uh, but yeah, so I I put together kind of a route for um, riding Newfoundland because I'm a huge fan of riding in Newfoundland um, in Eastern Canada. So I thought of this as a week long journey um, and doing a bike rental. Although I know a lot of people will ride maybe from the northeastern U.S. or from Canada, um, but kind of making a, a a different. There's a lot of different options. Let's just say. So I was thinking it, thinking of it as a loop ride coming in from maybe uh, Nova Scotia. There are three ferries that actually take you out to Newfoundland. One comes in from the north from Labrador, but I'm really focusing on the two on the south side of Newfoundland. One comes in at the western end at Port of Basque. So if you came on that ferry from Nova Scotia, 
you'd arrive on the southwest corner of Labrador, or excuse me, of Newfoundland, and then you could ride past um, Grossmore National Park all the way up to the top of the island, which locals refer to as the rock. So if you ride up to the northern end of the rock, there are so many things to see along the way. There are caribou herds, um, there are beautiful fishing villages, lots of uh, really beautiful inlets and coastal places to, to enjoy, to camp. There's fantastic wild camping on Newfoundland. And up at the northern end is a place called Lanso Meadows, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And it's where Vikings first uh, settled in North America. So they've actually recreated a Viking village that you can visit. Um, and then if you head back south, you kind of have to retrace your steps a little bit from that northernmost point on uh, Newfoundland and head south, then head east towards Twillingate, Gander, and some of the peninsulas. You can kind of just duck and dart in and out of various peninsulas to catch these really picturesque little fishing villages and just fill fill your boots, as they say, with all of the uh, beautiful scenery of, of Newfoundland. And then head towards St. John's. Um, and then there's actually a ferry on the southeast side of the island closer to the, in a village called Argentia that takes you back to Nova Scotia. So all told, if you spent about a week, 1,500 miles, um, the time of year that's probably best for riding that is June through September. That Eastern Ferry at Argentia, I think, only runs through the end of September. There's lots of specifics to sp spell out here. Um, but gosh, I mean, in summer, you can see bergy bits and floating pieces of iceberg on the east coast of Newfoundland. You can drink iceberg beer. You have to avoid moose on the roads, of course, um, but lots of beautiful things to, to see and to do. And so Newfoundland was, it was really at the, one of the top ones on my list. Very one of the nice. top ones on my list. Oh, good. Sorry, Grant. <laughs> no, that's okay. You've, you've got some great stuff there. Yeah, the uh, Lanso Meadows is really cool. Um, the other thing I was going to mention was um, the Horizons Unlimited Travelers Meeting in Newfoundland is August 1 to 4. Plan Ooh. on going to that and a few days on either side and you could have a wonderful trip. Second, Our second year in Newfoundland. Good idea. Fantastic. Well, I'm putting that on my list. Hey, yes. it just occurred to me, you guys have all these written down, all your choices written down. You'll have to send them to me and we'll put them in the show notes <laughs> because that way, because I mean, there's a lot of details in here and I'm thinking it might be easier for somebody if they're looking at something specific, they can go to the show notes and, and check what you've said on it. Is that good? You might have to do a little bit of editing. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Do, do your best. Okay. Yeah, I would add to Newfoundland because there's Newfoundland and Labrador is actually the name of the province. And the Trans-Labrador Highway is now finished, 1,149 kilometers, just finished last year. And they started it in 1980. So there, there's mm. a big back in the middle of nowhere, extremely remote, miles and miles and miles and miles of, well, <clears throat> let's be honest, nothing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's a really cool ride. Just, Where does the pavement start? Does it start in Lab City? Because I've done the, well, I did part of the Trans-Labrador Highway. I didn't actually ever finish it. But um, where does the pavement start, Grant? Do you know? My understanding is that it's paved all the way. 
okay. right to the, um, uh, what do you call it? Basically, you start in Quebec. You can start in Quebec is one way to do it on 389. Mm-hmm. Then it, that becomes NL 500 at the Quebec-Newfoundland border. Okay. And then it's 1,149 kilometers of pavement to Happy Valley where you take the 510. And then you can catch a ferry to Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. So it's supposed to be all paved. But, but if it's all paved... Yep. What's there to see then if it's? It's to do it. It's kind of like doing distance. Northern Ontario. It's, it's, well, it's more remote than Northern Ontario. I mean, Northern yeah. Ontario is mind numbingly boring. I'm sorry, Ontarioans, but it's mind numbingly boring. Um, but the Labrador run is so remote that you get moose literally walking across the road and you'll see bear at the side of the highway. Uh, little tiny, tiny little towns where there's like three houses is, is a big town. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool. When I did it, I, I rode across uh, Quebec and went to the Manitowoc Dam that was really cool. There's right. a couple of places that you can see. Um, I know Churchill Falls is no longer there because they've rerouted it for hydro. Um, but <clears throat> there was, I mean, it, it's it's beautiful. It is, as Grant says, very remote. But it's that's kind of part of the beauty, too, is just yep. how remote that it is. It's, it's part of some of the largest sections of wild land remaining on our continent. So it's, it's kind of something to experience to ride day in and day out. And the road itself used to be challenging because of the gravel and all of that. But I think, I think it's still got some challenges. So it's beautiful. Why didn't you go back and finish it, Michelle? Um, I actually, funnily enough, have been talking to some friends about going back and doing that. And somebody told me that it was finished. The pavement was finished last year, but I had heard that maybe still part of the Quebec section that I I had ridden was still um, gravel um, yeah. from around Relay Gabriel and from the Manitowoc Dam east. But um, until you got to the Newfoundland Labrador border near Lab City, so yeah. I'm not sure what it is. But yeah, no, it's still on my list because I really would like to finish it. Yeah, my understanding is that NL 500 is paved. Quebec, okay. uh, not sure. Yeah. So, wow, that's great. Two, two very interesting routes already kicking off really well here. We're going to take a quick break. I've got two things I want to tell you about. Stick around. we got a lot more coming up. Freshtracks.co.uk. Freshtracks works with companies or groups to motivate, inspire, and build communication skills through team building. They work with companies like Mars, Pfizer, Comic Relief, and many, many more. The website is freshtracks.co.uk. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw. That's freshtracks.co.uk. You know, I think today as riders, we're probably better informed than any other time in history. We understand how to dress to try and be as safe as we can. We understand about being seen on the road. We also understand how other drivers cannot see us, and we're aware of that. All these things help make us ride safer, sort of tools in our riding toolbox. Another tool is to understand just what insurance you should have and how that covers you if you were involved in a crash and what you should do if you were. Well, that brings me to this next thing, Cass and Moses is a law firm that specializes in representing motorcycles, and they've been doing it for over 30 years. That is a load of experience there. Now, this is one of those tips that you should be writing down. 
because a contact like this can be priceless. Cass and Moses understands riding, they understand riders, and they understand the law surrounding it. And they say that if you've been in a crash, even if you don't think it's your fault, you should call them. Now grab a pen because I'm going to give you the phone number in a minute. The other way you can benefit from Cass and Moses is to visit their website. CassandMoses.com is the website. They've got information on there that instructs you what to do if you are involved in a crash. And this, this could be key for you in the long run, learning what to do in those first few minutes. And don't wait until it happens to actually need the information because obviously then it's too late. Read it now. Write it down so that you're prepared. It's the same thing as wearing the gear. You wear the gear just in case you need it so it's there the moment you need it. Also, on their website, they have a free book you can get. It's called Standing Up for Bikers That Go Down. Many riders aren't well informed about the kinds of insurance that they have they should have on their motorcycle, and that can result in a catastrophic situation if something happens. The book explains this as well as it has stories in there from over 30 years of representing injured motorcyclists. Cassandmoses.com is the website. The phone number is 1-800-MOTORCYCLE. Easy to remember, 1-800-MOTORCYCLE. So just like being at GAT, wearing bright clothing, adding auxiliary lighting to your bike so that you're seen, familiarize yourself with CassandMoses.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there also that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw. CassandMoses.com. Sam, what have you got for one of yours? Okay, well, I'd like to um, pick out a route in Namibia, which is one of my favourite countries. Mm. And I, you know, I was thinking, I trying to think of a name for this um, this route, um, and I kept on thinking S because there's sea and sand dunes and skeletons and stars and springboks and science fiction trees. And try and put that lot together and find a title for it. I was stuffed, <laughs> so I gave up. <laughs> um, now this is a route that is about um, 1,320, 1,350 miles. Um, one third of it is um, graded gravel, um, and there are um, a couple of sections of very soft sand. So the skill level, um, some experience, but it depends on the road conditions. And um, do, the top tip here is you do need to have an international driving permit. Now, the best time to visit Namibia is July to October, when the temperatures are just above um, 20 degrees C. What's that in Fahrenheit? I should have made a note. Anyway, 20, it's really 20 or 68. <laughs> Right, so 68. So it's a really comfortable um, riding temperature. And at that time of year, the, the chance of rain is um, really low. So that means that if you're going to see any wildlife, um, then you're probably going to see it nearer the watering holes. Um, it does make it peak travel, travel season, though, so you do need to um, book accommodation. Um, September is a really good time to be there because the skies um, are absolutely clear. And it's around um, 79 degrees Fahrenheit then. So again, it's a great temperature. And the sorts of hazards that you can get, well, it's midday heat, punctures, sand drifts, and yeah, it can be very cold at night. But the other sorts of things that you need to watch out for on this route are tourist drivers who don't know their vehicles or how to drive on dirt roads. Um, <laughs> you see quite a lot of people out like that. Um, and also locals who know the road so well that they're just driving on autopilot um, and quickly too. 
Um, mind you, having said that, on the whole, the driving in Namibia, I thought, was much, much better in many parts of the world. And the dirt roads um, have been constantly graded, but it doesn't take long for corrugations and gravel ridges to, to um, appear, so they'll really keep you awake. Um, Okay, so first of all, you're going to fly into um, Namibia's capital city, Windhoek. Um, just to give a, a bit of reference, that's about six hours' time difference from Washington, D.C. And in Windhoek, you can rent a BMW, Honda, Enfield, and one or two other marks as well. So day one, you're going to set out from Windhoek to Swakopmund, which is down on the coast. And this is only um, about four hours worth of driving, and it's on asphalt. So I'm giving you a nice gentle start to the trip. It's rolling countryside, and there aren't any real challenges, but it is a real wake-up um, to the journey. And, of course, if you're hiring a bike, it gives you the chance to get used to it before you get into other things. Now, Swakopmund, this is a great place to, to stock up on all of your supplies. So you don't need to do that in Wintook before you head out. You'll find everything that you need in Swakopmund. But two of the things that you will find that are fantastic is great cakes, because um, um, Namibia is um, an ex-German colony. So, man, do they know how to make cakes and bread and really good beer. If you can, get down to the coast, see the dunes and the sea, and ride a little bit north along Skeleton Coast. So day two, um, takes you from Swakopmund to Wolvis Bay, which is only about 36 kilometres, so about 30 minutes. And then from Wolvis Bay around to a very remote town called Solitaire. And this is about um, three hours and 30 minutes on. Now, mostly it's um, graded gravel and it'll take you a total of around um, five hours. But you've got plenty of places that you can stop off and have a look as you go along. There's a Flamingo Lagoon near Wolvis Bay, which is um, just quite amazing to watch all of these birds there and dune 7 which is the tallest sand dune in the world that's about 383 meters you're going to travel on through sections of the namib nakluft national park and the views out over the landscape are absolutely incredible you're going to trust the, um, the crop uh, the tropic of capricorn along the way you're likely to see ostrich oryx and springboks um, so there is wildlife out there in spite of the fact that this is really desert land. When you get to the solitaire petrol station, you're going to be gasping for fuel because there's not a lot between um, Wolvis Bay and Solitaire. And they've got a, um, a car graveyard there, which is just wonderful photographic opportunity and some of the best apple pie that you'll ever taste in Solitaire. There's a story behind that. So if you ever think about doing this route, um, do a little bit of research on that. Now, you can go um, for an hour further along um, from Cesarem, along um, the paved road with um, sand tracks at the end to a desert camp, which is just outside the entrance to Sussesfley. And anybody who is thinking about traveling in Southern Africa is going to know about Sussesfley, the red sand dunes. Um, now, I suggest that you, um, people take a day off here. Um, so no riding except for just getting in and out of the dunes. It's it's the, the the tallest sand dunes in Africa, um, and it's it's just drop dead gorgeous. Um, you've got dead vlei and hidden vlei, which are valleys. They've got 900-year-old camel thorn trees. And one thing I would advise is don't bother climbing Dune 45 because that's the one that everybody goes to. Um, go and climb one of the adjacent ones. And when you get to the top and climbing um, in the dawn is absolutely fabulous thing to do um, for starters, in part because it's a lot cooler then, in part because the nighttime dew, and yeah, this is full-on desert, but you do get a heavy dew, it 
it means that the sand is easier to climb. And it can take you an hour to get up some of these dunes, but about 10 minutes to run down them um, or to slide on your stomach or your backside down them. But when you get to the top, it's a bit like standing surrounded by a stormy Red Sea because each of the sand dunes looks like a rolling wave. And because they're all slightly different angles, each of them is a different color. I, I, when I got up there, I saw um, peaches and flaming reds and oranges and apricots and so on. It is just one of those magic places to go. Day four, um, Sestrum or um, Sister's Flay to Luderitz. Now, this is a longer day, so it's about um, six hours. And again, you've got rolling countryside and sand dunes. And as you're heading down towards the coast to get to Luderitz, um, take some time to stop off in um, a ghost town. It's called Coleman's Cop. Um, at one time, this was a mining town because you're right on the edge of what's um, still called the Forbidden Zone. And this area is full of diamonds and it's very heavily protected. A common suit was a, a mining town, but um, when the diamonds were mined out, then the town has just been um, left to nature. And there's lots of drifting sand and the buildings are half full of drifted sand. Again, it's incredibly photogenic. And talking of the drifting sand, when you're riding this road, do watch out because the sand drifts drifts across the asphalt and it's um it tends to be pretty soft um when you get down towards um luderitz uh, you go through an area called the garub um and there are wild horses there and again these are descendants of um the miners and so um, miners um transport and so on um and they're they're quite majestic day five so this is going to take you from Luderitz to Keepmanshoop, which is um, about three and a half hours inland. And if you time this well, then you can get towards um, the Cocobonewood Forest. And the nickname for that is Quiver Trees. Now, forest always sounds a little bit odd in that there aren't actually that many trees. But this is where the... Um, the uh, science fiction trees bit comes in. These trees are really, really weird shaped, but again, incredibly photogenic. And if you can time your visit there for sunset, um, it looks absolutely amazing. So it's well worth going out there. But Keatman Soup is a great place to stay. There are lots of um, cheap accommodation options when you were there. Then day six, that takes you from Keatman's Hoop to Windhoek, which is a five-hour ride on asphalt. It's very steady riding under a big day, uh, under a big sky. And I've been told that this day of the ride isn't particularly interesting, but I don't agree. I just liked it because it was great thinking time. My mind was pinging away through all of the different things that I'd seen and I'd stopped and done. And you can see quite a lot of wildlife um, alongside the road. Um, there aren't so many challenges for sure, but it's actually a really nice day's ride to round everything off. Now, if you've got that day seven spare, um, I think spend it in Windhoek itself. Um, you've got the, the Dan Villion, I can never pronounce that, game reserve, which is just outside the town. And wander around the town itself. It's, there's a railway museum and markets and some very quaint old churches and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's an absolutely lovely route. Um, Namibia is so wealth worth visiting. And you can fly directly into um, Windhoek. It's an international airport. So yeah, that, that was my first one. Is it, first of all, what's the name of the route then? It's, it's the country is what you're saying. I I haven't got a name for it. I really struggled with finding that. I mean, the Namibia route, well, that's a bit boring. The sand route. <laughs> Namibian sands. Namibian sands. Oh, that's nice. I like that. 
Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that actually is rather nice. Namibian sands, because you've got the coastal sand dunes, you've got the inland sand dunes, much of the landscape is sandy. Hmm, Namibian yep. sands. From here nice. on, it shall that's be nice. known as. Hey, so Sam, you, you mentioned, is that a loop? Like, would, do, you, do you fly your bike yes. in and fly your bike out at the same time? Like the same spot? Uh, you, you can fly your bike in if you want to, but um, I wouldn't bother. I would week? fly in and rent a bike right. for a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. If if you're going to travel on from there, yeah, of course, fly your bike in. I mean, it is an international airport. You brought back a lot of memories for me, Sam. Namibia oh, is, nice. is one of my top countries. Sausage and all that. I spent two days at Sausage um, just photographing and, and the, the contrast between the morning sun, the afternoon sun, and then the late evening sun on, on one sand dune alone is absolutely yeah. spectacular, the changing colors. You can easily spend a lot more time there. When I'm doing my presentation on on Africa, um, one of the things that I do is I describe sitting on top of those sand dunes. And the only thing that you can hear is the sound of the sand dune, the grains rolling down the dune on the other side. Yeah, for the wind blowing across. Exactly. Just wow. Just wow. Yeah, it's it's a must-do. You know, if you're going to Africa, to my mind, Namibia is very high on the list, if not top of the list. And then lots of stuff in South Africa. There's lots of good riding there, which I'll talk about later. But yeah, Namibia, Sausage Coleman's Cop, I spent a day there just photographing. I've got some wonderful pictures of the sand blown in. At, at one point, it was said that it was the richest town in the world. Mm-hmm. Straight on diamonds. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. So, but no longer. Yeah. Not anymore, no. The the interesting thing is that Sam didn't mention too, was as you're driving down the highway, you'll see signs at the side of the road all the way along the highways in the area. Finally, I stopped and I looked at one of them. It says, warning, stay out, diamond area. (laughs) They will will shoot you. Yeah, they will shoot. So if you're getting off your bike, take a leak. Don't go very far off the road. (laughs) You never know where somebody will be. People get real worked up about diamonds, don't they? Oh, yeah, they do. (laughs) Don't go kicking the the dirt around. And thanks, Sam, for telling us how to pronounce Shishlui. We we, uh, must be the Australian accent, sure. Because there's not an S in it when you spell it. No. That's interesting. Brian, how about one for you? Um, I've got a little bit closer to home with a couple of mine. Um, just do one. I'll just do one. <laughs> <laughs> the one I really, really, really like is the Amio Highway. Now, some of you might have heard me talk about the Amio Highway before, but if you come into Melbourne, I'm, I'm going to promote Australia a little bit here, but if you fly into Melbourne, you can hire a bike this three or four high companies um, in Melbourne itself, uh, one being uh, Bike Round Oz, which are pretty good, uh, so I hear. Um, and you head towards uh, the east, towards Phillip Island, follow the coastal road around there, the number one highway, and you can make your way to a little place called Meetung, which is in the south. And it's a quaint little village uh, with little yachts bobbing on the bay and a, and a hotel right on the water where you can stay if you want to and it's um, actually a nice little spot just to chill out after getting your motorcycle and um, uh, before you start your journey north. Now the Omeo Highway um, you travel for about 27 kilometres up to Swan Reach and in, um, into Bruthen, uh, which is really the start of the Omeo Highway, and it heads north right through our um, uh, mountain range, um, which is 
the best riding country, no doubt. It's not it's not very far to Omeo. It's probably another uh, 45 kilometres. It's a total of about 120 kilometres from Mitong to Omeo. But the road through there takes you through rolling hills, uh, open fields, um, right beside the, um, the, the river, uh, with um, uh, where there used to be gold mines uh, through that part of the world, uh, going back a bit. But Omeo is a really good spot to spend a night. Uh, there's a, two really nice hotels there or a little motel you can stay in or you can camp uh, just out of town if you wanted to. But there are old gold mine diggings to search through there. I would suggest two nights in Omeo because you can ride up to the top of Mount Hotham, which is a lovely cruisy ride up and stop at the top and have a look at the view across the, the, the mountain ranges and then go down into Bright, which is a lovely another lovely little town. Um, you can either just uh, turn around and go back or there is a loop you can do uh, coming back the other way over, over another mountain called Mount, uh, Mount Beauty, which would be around about probably a 340k round trip if you wanted to do that in a day. It's a nice, easy day cruising through the, the, um, the hills. Now, from Omeo, go north again following the Omeo Highway and it follows the Mitter River. It hasn't. Oh, it's only in the last probably uh, ten years that um, the whole road has been sealed. But it takes you through uh, little places like Angler's Rest, and the only thing at Angler's Rest is a pub and a campground, and that's only another twenty-eight kilometres from Omeo. And the pub is the Blue Duck. Blue Duck Inn. Inn. Yeah, mm. Blue Duck Inn. Yeah. But it's it's uh, a really quaint little spot. Um, you quite often see trout fishermen um, uh, in their waders in the river. Um, I've camped there before, and it is just serene, beautiful part of the world. Um, Angler's Rest is, is the name of the, the official name of it, but everyone knows it as the Blue Duck Inn. You cross this little wooden bridge, and the campgrounds down on your right. Um, the Wildlife up there, kangaroos, heaps of kangaroos, heaps of wallabies, a few black snakes, but that's okay. I uh, didn't tell my mate I saw a black snake disappear under his tent, but that's okay. They, they're pretty docile. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Omeo, um, head north, Angler's Rest, and you take the road up to Mitter. Now, I don't think there's a straight section on this road. Uh, I haven't counted the corners, but I reckon it would rival 16A for the number of corners. But it's not just the corners. It's the beautiful scenery, the river. Um, you go through um, forested areas. There's picnic areas along the river. There's campgrounds along the river that you could quite easily pull up and spend a night or two. And as you wake, make your way into Mitter, again, this is um, where uh, old gold mining was conducted. So you'll see remnants of old um, gold mines um, along the river area there um, and make your way to Talangata. Now, Talangata is, is at the top of the Omeo Highway. You come to a T intersection, you turn left and you travel about 12 kilometres to uh, new Talangata because the old Talangata township was actually shifted when they created a dam. And uh, if the water's low, you can see the, the footings and the streets of the old um, town. But they actually shifted the whole town in the 1950s to this new location. 
um, there's a lookout. Uh, you can look over the the town, the um, the waterways and the dam and all the rest of it. Now, from there, um, you can uh, make your way uh, through, again, travelling through the mountains up to Adaminibi. Um, you go out of Talangata, follow the Murray Valley Highway, um, cross over at, uh, into New South Wales at uh, Cairn Coburn. And just before Cairn Coburn, there's a road that takes you up through the mountains, um, through the Snowy Mountains scheme, where um, a lot of immigrants that came out to Australia at the end of the Second World War and into the 50s and even the early 60s, um, when they came to Australia, they, were, they came out um, with uh, government assistance. They then had to work on um, this scheme, creating a hydroelectric scheme in the in the, the uh, mountains. And uh, what they created there was really something else. And you can do tours of the old um, power stations and things like that, which are all underground. So um, that's well worth it. Make your way to Adaminibi, which is about – 220 kilometres from Talangata, and I'd suggest spending the night there. Take your time. Take your time going through this part of the world because uh, it's just spectacular. From Adaminibi, um, a lot of people can just travel on the main road into Canberra, but I'd suggest taking um, the road that takes you through the Brindabella Mountains, which is dirt, uh, but really well-formed dirt road. It will lead you into the back blocks of Canberra, and again, it's just beautiful vistas and scenery and plenty of places to camp. Uh, it's only, um, I think, about 120 kilometres into Canberra, which is our obviously our capital. And a lot of people say, oh, it's only Canberra. There's a lot to see in Canberra, including, and much to the chagrin of um, Hollywood, the oldest multi-reel feature film ever produced. It was produced in 1906 and it was called The Story of the Kelly Gang. And that's actually housed at the National Film and Sound Archive in Canberra, um, which is well worth um, going in and having a look. So that's my little route. And I, I would suggest that that would take you, if you took your time, it would take you no more than three or four days to have a really, really good um, ride through probably the best um, of motorcycling in Australia. One thing we nice. should point out for people in places like Europe, what? when we say mountains, uh. <laughs> we, call them, we call them mountains, but um, they're not exactly European mountains. <laughs> just, just That's just a, a, a warning. We do get snow. Yeah, we do. <laughs> That little road I told you about, that's really a good start if you're heading north up towards Queensland. You can just follow the mountain range all the way up and there's heaps and heaps of little roads to go. But, of course, the other one, the iconic one in there. You it, were just one. Yeah, all right, but hang on. No, <laughs> you were told just one. <laughs> hang on, Brian. Great. We'll get back to that. Let, let me just ask you about that. What's, what's the uh, – what are the, it's all paved. Is it all asphalt? Uh, yeah, apart from the area from Adabinibi heading into Canberra around the back, that's all paved. Okay. Um, it wasn't, and as I said, until 10 years ago, the top end of uh, the Omeo Highway, but it is now. And it is just gorgeous, you know. Um, but, you know, the Great Ocean Road is also another good ride out of Melbourne. And, um, you know, we've got a redwood forest in there, which were redwood. Um, Hang on, are you trying to throw out. another one in now, Brian? 
We just told him, and then he's just right back to another one. It's not so dumb. This is like trying to keep Brian from buying a bike. <laughs> yeah, not possible. I'll turn the microphone off, Jim, so someone else can have it. <laughs> we, we didn't hear from Grant yet. Grant, what, do, what have you got for one of yours? Uh, well, I've got a couple of things here, but I wanted to add on to uh, Sam's uh, comments on Atosha National Park for Namibia. The big thing with Satoshi National Park is that you can drive around on your own and go where you want, whenever you want, but you can't do it on a bike. They won't let you in on your bike. So you're stuck at the campground. In fact, I'm not even sure you can get in at all on a motorcycle now, come to think of it. No, you can't, Grant, and you're quite right. Thanks for adding this in. I meant to, and I completely got um, sidetracked. Yeah, um, what we did was we rented a, uh, a van in Windhoek and yep. drove it up. It's only four hours, and we spent yep. three or four days driving around Atosha on our own, doing our own thing, and it was wonderful doing it on our own, and we could sleep in the van if we needed yep. to. Otherwise, we, we used our tent anyway, but we could sleep in the van if necessary. You have to be in the campground at dark, dusk to dawn, um, you have to be in the campground. But other than that, you're on your own. And if you make the big mistake of going with a tour, you'll observe what we saw a lot of times was we'd be sitting there in a water hole and the animals were there and it was great, and, you know, all the usual good things about it. And a tour would arrive and all the animals would scatter. The tour would sit there for about 20 minutes. No animals would come out because there was a tour bus there and then they'd leave. And all the animals would come back. So the big thing is just sit there, be quiet, take your time, relax. And it's amazing. Absolutely fantastic. Probably the best national uh, animal national park I've been in. It's amazing. Well worth the trip. Nice one, Grant. And I mean, you can rent all sorts of vehicles in Wintook, and that's yeah. one of the, the the good things about it. So vans, four by fours. Um, yeah, you don't whatever. need a four by four for Atosha. Totally no, unnecessary. Don't. Absolutely yep. not. If you want to go into the sand dunes and you know do go up and play in the in the mountains in the sand, well, yeah, you need a four by four. But for Atosha, a van or a car even is fine. Yep. So having said that. Um, British Columbia, since that's where I am. One of my favorite rides is the Duffy Lake Road. And this can be done in a day. It's a 600-kilometer day, but you can do it in a day or two. Or you can use the end of Duffy Lake Road as a stepping off to the wonders of British Columbia. And I, I don't want to brag too much about British Columbia, but... Yeah, I will. Okay. It's one of the spectacular places to ride in the world. Um, I've had it compared to Norway, to Chile. Uh, it's not the Alps, but we've got some pretty big mountains here. Like I was just saying my my mountain just outside here, six and a half thousand feet, and there's several others in the 4,000 range. Just, just I'm looking at one right now. It's right there. And uh, fantastic riding in there for off-road stuff. I, I'm 20 minutes away from great off-road riding here. It's a great place. But uh, Duffy Lake, st you start, you can rent a bike in Vancouver and go from Vancouver up the Sea to Sky Highway, which is Highway 99, up to one of the big ski areas in the world is Whistler Mountain, uh, Whistler Blackcomb 
ski area. It's huge, fantastic if you're into skiing. Or if you're into downhill bicycling, you can rent a bicycle and scare yourself silly on the downhills. There's some wonderful, wonderful downhill skiing in the, or downhill um, mountain biking in the area. So you keep on going past there. Um, you'll go past on the way the Squamish Chief if you're into rock climbing. This is one of the world's preeminent climbing walls. It's an absolute sheer rock face. It just goes up and up and up and up. Or you can be lazy and you can take a chairlift to the top of it just to see what the view is like. And it's fantastic over the fjord and over the mountains and everything else in the area. It's a beautiful area. Um, from there you go, what am I thinking here? Right, Whistler. Then you come to Pemberton, which is just a little small town. And then you hit the Duffy Lake Road proper. It's a beautiful winding mount motorcycle road. It's not very long. You can do it in, oh, I'm trying to remember now. The whole thing comes blurs together. It's not long, but you can do it a couple of times in a day if you want to add some uh, a little extra. I know one guy who does this loop, and he'll do the Duffy Lake section three times. Up, back, and then back out again, and then continue around. It is that good a road. It's it's really really good, and the scenery is spectacular all the way. Once you get to the end, you hit Lillooet, which is hot. It's in the Fraser Canyon, and you've got some options from there. You can go south to Vancouver, back straight through the Highway Trans Canada One down the Fraser Canyon, which is a very scenic and historic route. Not as big in use anymore. Like you would think Highway 1, well, yeah, heavy traffic. No. One through this area now is very low traffic because Highway 5 has um, replaced it, shall we say, on the speedy route. Highway 5 is fast and four lanes all the way, whereas... Highway 1 through the Fraser Canyon is still a two-lane road, one lane and going in each direction. And very pretty, uh, lots, of bri- lots of tunnels, rather. Oh, there's, there's tunnels all over the place. You can see down to the Fraser River, and you can see where they were uh, going down there in rafts and canoes and kayaks mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. It's a spectacular stretch of road, very historic, lots of things to see on the way. Um, you'll go through the town of Lillooet, sorry, Lillooet, Lytton, which burned to the ground a year ago, a year and a half ago now, completely wiped it right out. They're in theoretically <clears throat> rebuilding it, but they're not rebuilding it at a very fast rate. Like so far, I think they've got a few areas cleared and that's it. It's lots and lots of work to do yet, wow. but it's all, all a historic area. Um, you can go, instead of going south to Vancouver and finishing up a day ride, you can keep going and go north. You can go all the way up to Prince George. You can keep going to Alaska if you want. Um, you can go past Kamloops to Revelstoke, which is the gateway to the national parks and the Rocky Mountains. Uh, there's there's just so many areas you can go through to the Caribou, and you can see all that area. There's all the Gold Rush area. It's an embarrassment of riches of where to go. You can end up going to our CanWest National uh, our Can West Travelers Meeting in the Cusp, which is another beautiful riding area. And the Cusp is coming up in July. So that's July 13 to 16. Um, what else? If you can go there, you can, it's, it's easy TCAT. to make a week route, a TCAT. I was going to say the TCAT has, goes through there, right? The Trans-Canada Trail. So, I mean, like it it, if you were going to the Horizons meet, you could use that to get there. You can go back behind Lillooet. I mean, there's a lot of riding in there. 
Yeah, there's tons of it. The problem is going to be doing it in only a week. You really end up yeah. wanting to make it a three-week trip. There's just so much. Um, another route that I did that's kind of part of this is from Pemberton, which is, remember, Highway 99, and then you from Pemberton, you basically hang right and you're on the Duffy Lake Road, continuing on 99. Or you keep going past Pemberton and you get to Pemberton Meadows, and then you've got a back road, which I did on a BMW R100S in 1971, two, oh, let me wow. think. no, 81, 1981. It was gravel all the way. And this is an R100S, which has the little tiny handlebars. And it was just gravel, 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 and more gravel, and crappy road, and crummy road, and good road. But it's it's changed. It's improved. You can go past beautiful, beautiful lakes. There's Carpenter Lake, Anderson Lake, uh, through Braylorn, which is a historic area for um, uh, gold gold mines. There's Gold Bridge, uh, the Gold Bridge Hotel, Cafe and Bar is, I think the building's well over 100 years old. It's still there. And you can have an excellent lunch there. You get gas at a card station. There's nobody attending it. You stick your credit card in the machine and get your gas. Um, there's a great BC Hydro campground at Gun Creek. Highly recommended as a place to stop. It's right on the creek and right on the lake. It's beautiful. Um, excellent conditions. And there's so many roads in the area you can explore for dual sport or adventure bikes. It's excellent area. It's one of my favorite places to go. And it's not far. Um, so that's the Hurley Hurley River Forest Service Road to Carpenter Lake. Yep, a great ride. And, and I, I was on there not all that long ago. Still rough. Still, still just a, oh, yeah. a great sphere. There, there's so much in that area. I mean, I'm I'm biased as well. I, I love the area. There's just so much to explore in there. And I agree. You can do it. You can certainly spend a week. You can spend many weeks. I think exploring. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine rides there almost exclusively, almost every week. Oh, nice. It gives you an idea. And he, he's retired. He's got a DR650 and he just goes up there, camps at Gun Creek and rides the area mm -hmm. six or eight times yeah. a year at least. Lots to do. We did the Cedar Sky Highway when we left Vancouver Island on our way to Alaska. Yes. Um, and we went. Uh, we were in the middle of summer and Whistler is the place to avoid like the plague <laughs> during, <laughs> during yeah. summer. I've never seen so many people in one. There was a, a courtyard with cafes around it, and I have never seen so many people in one place. It was just ridiculous. But we then went on up to, um, is it 100 Mile? 100 Mile. House. And yeah. then, and then um, yeah, so uh, the Yellowhead Highway. Road. Oh, did we? Without even yes. realising it. Yeah. Well, yep. me, that's what happens when you don't read all the maps, I suppose. <laughs> yep, that's how but, we don't uh, read <laughs> But then we went on and we just kept kept going north and we ended up going through Hyder and, you know, seeing the bears and um, just uh, Smithers. That's where we ended up spending quite some time in Smithers, British Columbia, after the shocker uh, collapsed on the on the bike, but yeah, oh, right, yeah. great part. It's that Cedar Sky Highway. It yeah. is awesome. Nice. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah, yeah one of the roads in the world. I think some people make the mistake of, of thinking it's just a, a place, an area to transit through in a quick way as you head north and maybe going to Alaska. And But the, the area that Grant described there, there's just so much. It is absolutely spectacular. And I don't think it's like, I know Duffy Lake Road's getting busy 
certainly in recent years is getting busier for sure. More tourists and the, the campgrounds are, yeah. are more built up and, and, uh, more commercial. Yeah, but I would recommend doing Duffy Lake. If you leave Vancouver at like 7 a.m. or 6 a.m., you can do the Duffy Lake and the traffic is not bad. Mm-hmm. But you, it gets you past the Squamish traffic and the Whistler traffic, right. which is nice. And you're doing it early in the morning or late in the evening Sweet. is fine. And, and Grant, what do you think the skill level is? What would you rate that? If you don't do the, the Hurley, anybody can do it on a street bike. It's a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. There's nothing hard about it anywhere. Um, I wouldn't might, might not want to take somebody out that's only been riding for a week because there are some definite tight, twisty sections and narrow sections on the Duffy. Uh, if you want to do the Hurley, that's definitely a more advanced adventure bike. You do not do the Hurley on a street bike. Um, it's an adventure bike or a dual sport bike. Well, let's, um, we've all had a round here. Let, let's go back to Shirley. What, do you have another one, Shirley? Uh, look, Go. I've got an even shorter one. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Ten minutes around the block. No, look, this is I've got I've got a I've got a, a, a one that goes for a few days, but I'd just like to mention this one very quickly. If you're in Norway, the Atlantic Ocean Road, it's mm. eight kilometers, but it is the most amazing piece of road that goes up and over the Atlantic Ocean. And if the sea if the if the sea's up, the ocean's up, it'll the waves will crash across the road. So that's just – sorry, I had to do that because no, it's a shorter surely, one. And I'm just curious what, what this would actually end up costing me. Say I was going to go to, all the way to Norway to do this eight-kilometer road. <laughs> and <rent a> <laughs> <laughs> there are other things to see in Norway and right. other roads to ride, but right. um, yeah. that piece of road is just it's, – it's only a new piece of road. It was only built in the 80s, and it's um, – if you Google it, YouTube it. There are some amazing videos of it during bad weather. And when we went there, it was good weather. And um, like Grant's friends that go backwards and forwards over the same stretch of road, I lost count at how many times we went over it to get to one side. Do we, there were even U-turn bays at the bottom, so you can just go backwards and forwards over it. <laughs> That's very so, cool. What, what was the purpose of the road? Like, do you know why they built it? Is it, is it supposed to be a yeah, tourist it's, attraction? It's, 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 it yeah, is yeah. part of a highway, but the way they've built it, they've clearly tourist made road. it a tourist road. Oh, I see. Even yeah. though it is part of the main highway. But my serious one is the Dalmatian coast mm, in yeah. the in the um, in the old Yugoslavia. When we did it, we started in Trieste in Italy, just because you can, and it was a good beach and it was hot. We did it. We did it in the middle of summer, and I really think it's probably an area to traverse in spring or autumn. The middle of summer, it was bloody hot and uh, some days too hot for comfort. But um, it takes you through Slovenia and then we just hugged the coast road along the Adriatic Sea and we stopped at, um, at, I I can't even start to pronounce the towns, but uh, Rijeka, I think it is, and then, of course, split and you end up in Dubrovnik. And when we did it, there had been no such thing as the Game of Thrones, whereas now I believe Dubrovnik has become part of the Game of Thrones uh, tourist route. And um, there were heaps of tourists there when we were there, so it must be um, even more now. But it... There's the main highway, which is a toll road, and you can. It's about 600, 700 k's from from Trieste down to Dubrovnik. So if you took the toll road, um, you could do it in a day, too easy. But you're not on the coast, 
um, no. you're not seeing the, the water. Um, the, you'd be there with trucks and goodness knows what else. The little road that goes along the coast is the E65, and we actually took a detour off that road down onto a, an island that sort of is the – it goes down into a little isthmus and then there's a, a small island at the end, spelt K-R-K. Knock yourselves out trying to pronounce that. <laughs> but the beaches um, the beaches down in that part of the world were stone, but the water was um, just gorgeous and clean. Incredibly and, clear, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a, quite quite a sight. And when you're on the road above the above the water and you look down, you really can see how clear it is, and it's just it really is spectacular. Um, and you keep following it through, and you get to Split, which is very historic town, smaller than Dubrovnik, but heaps of history to see. But again, beaches and great cafes, and um, unfortunately, lots of stray cats. I found parts of Split a bit depressing because of my love of animals and the disrespect that animals were treated in some areas. But then we went on down to Dubrovnik, and which, as I say, is a huge tourist area, but a really, really fascinating fascinating town because you've got medieval um, castles and also the modern history of the um, the civil war that was in that area in the 80s and 90s, uh, 1980s and 1990s. So there's, you know, um, museums to the martyrs and it's it's quite, if you like history, it's a really interesting place with modern history and ancient history. But because we arrived in summer and we went to the tourist office to see about accommodation, they actually laughed when I said we were looking for a double room for three yeah, or four days. Right, yeah. They laughed. Um, so we ended up going back up the, the beach road to a place called Zaton, Z-A-T-O-N, and stayed in a little guest house right on the water, which was gorgeous. And we were going to stay one day and we stayed three. And they had a, a boat that they put you in the boat and took you in through the harbour into Dubrovnik. So you came in around that big castle that you've you've seen um, on all the tourist photos of Dubrovnik. Oh, really so nice. The Dalmatian coast, it really is um, it really is spectacular as long as you go on the coast road on the E65. And there's even a smaller road that will take you from the E65 when you come off the unpronounceable KRK um, isthmus. <laughs> There is an even narrower road which really um, hugs the coast down yeah. down through that area. When we went through, um, it wasn't long after there had been disturbances in that area and part of the coast road, you go into Bosnia for about an hour. Um, so you had two border crossings either side of that, but uh, a border crossing, sorry, either side of that area. And in those days, getting through, when we went through, getting through was tricky because um, they were concerned about the violence that had been in the area. It's probably very different now, but the, the view won't have changed and the, the coastline won't have changed and the history of Split and Dubrovnik well worth, so well worth it. And you get to have a swim in some of the cleanest water you'll ever swim in. There you go. Yep. Yeah, yeah, lovely route. Absolutely lovely. Totally agree with you. Michelle, do you have another one? I do, yeah. Um, I've got uh, one that kind of popped to the top of my list and I I can highly recommend is Iceland. Um, I, oh, 
uh-oh, I hope I haven't stolen one. <laughs> no, 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 but you've just brought back all those memories from my trip to Iceland oh, in, good. in September last year. It oh. is amazing. Go, chill. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear it. Um, and this is probably obviously without saying a, a rental sort of trip. Certainly someone can take ferries. I've seen a couple of people do that actually from the north of the UK via the Faroe Islands, etc., to get their own bike onto Iceland or you can ship it. Um, but I was thinking in terms of flying in and renting in Reykjavik. And um, the thing to know, and obviously do your research, you'll find out, but usually the rental agencies don't want to allow you to go off-road unless you have a tour guide. So frequently, if you want to access the F roads, which are the non-paved roads um, that are certainly have a varying degree of skill set or skill level required for them. So you can create a journey that's on paved roads um, or add in some off-road or gravel roads. And I would recommend doing those if you can. So I, I would say that there's a variety of skill levels that you can access depending on where you want to go. But the trip that I had in mind was renting in Reykjavik and then riding north out of the city towards um, the western region and the west fjords and afterwards tagging or tacking on the golden circle. And all in total, then you're looking at about a week. So if you head out of Reykjavik, riding north out of the city towards uh, Stikisholmer um, on the first day, and then catching Route 60 to go around the West Fjords Peninsula for probably about three days. Um, again, there's a, a myriad of roads there, depending on you know the skill set and and how challenging you want to make those. You can add in lots of water crossing, steep grades. You're going to be facing um, really unpredictable weather with rain and cold temperatures that can drop in unannounced, a lot of wind. So just be aware of that. Um, but as you make your way around the West Fjords Peninsula, there's lots of small villages to stay at. And beautiful landscape. I mean, I think that actually, speaking of Game of Thrones um, and Vikings and some of the other shows, I think there's a lot of filming that's done on Iceland, on the island, because the scenery is just breathtaking. Emerald green hillsides, black sand beaches, very dramatic mountains, volcanoes, um, and dozens of indescribably beautiful waterfalls. Everywhere you turn, there's so much water on Iceland and it's it's just a breathtaking landscape in every direction. So if you finish the West Fjords Peninsula and then head back south towards kind of making your way back toward Reykjavik, but take a detour to do the Golden Circle and the Golden Circle takes you out to Selfoss, which is one of the larger and more beautiful waterfalls on the western side of the island. Uh, you can also take a, a little bit of a detour to, um, and I, I'm sorry that I may not be pronouncing any of these properly, but it's uh, Tingvellir National Park. And in the national park, there's a little um, town, I think it's called Selfir or some, Silfra, that's what it was. And in Silfra, there's a very slender lake. And it is something like, and don't hold me to this, but about 10 meters across. And it's maybe a half a mile to a mile long. And it actually is a slender lake that um, is kind of perched on the edge between the two tectonic plates. 
So it's uh, a place that's very unique in the world that you can swim in between two tectonic plates. Mm-hmm. Um, and people do that. It's, it's really unique. So you can scuba, you can snorkel and just kind of swim the length of this very narrow, crystal clear, uh, very chilly lake. Um, but it's, it's a unique experience. Jeez, I don't and then know, hop- that almost sounds like one of those places, you know, where they tell the kids not to go. Don't go play near there. <laughs> Those are two tectonic I, plates. They're going to move. Somebody's going to get hurt. I think so, right? Yeah. I, 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 it feels like you're kind of uh, play, rolling the dice there. It does, so, yeah. isn't it? I mean, if they, if they didn't have it all set up as a tourist thing, would you actually really go in and swim there? You might think twice. Like maybe. Yeah, maybe I should have. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really a unique experience. Well, that's interesting. So, yeah. 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 And of course the island is covered with the natural hot springs. Um, and just there's some that are, um, more spa like, so you can go from anything from a rustic natural pool out in a kind of a hidden Canyon or near the base of a volcano up to spa like and very high end, uh, resort type hot springs that you can swim in. Mm. Um, yeah. And, Iceland is just a beautiful country with Icelandic ponies and black sand beaches and just so many things to look at. And again, so many different skill levels can be um, challenged on the variety of roads that they have on the island. But I think if you lace those things together, the West Fjords and the Golden Circle, you can do that in about a week, come back to the city. Reykjavik itself is a really beautiful kind of a cosmopolitan city in terms of, you know, on the island. It's It's got a beautiful opera house, believe it or not, and a beautiful cathedral and um, lots of unique things to experience. And you could spend a week and want to spend so much longer, but it's definitely worth uh, going so far out of the way to go to Iceland and ride. Mm, wow. We, we spent two weeks there, Michelle, and it is the yeah. most wonderful, wonderful place. But I was in a, a car with a girlfriend mm-hmm. and we did we did the um, Westfield. We actually circumnavigated the island, but we did the Westfields. A lot of that was gravel, yep. but our um, the um, insurance on the hire car allowed that. But when you look at going into the centre of the island, uh, tourists are – I don't know whether it's an official ban, but certainly discouraged because the roads are so um, basic and the weather can change so quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was during our time on Iceland, we got a um, a notification that a a storm was coming and we were actually holed up in a hotel for two days because the roads were closed. It was too dangerous to, to drive at all. Closed for what, Shirley? Uh, wind. Oh, wind. Wind. Mm-hmm. But it was really weird, Jim, because you looked out the window and it was clear blue sky. But, and because there's no trees, you can't sort of see a storm, you know, where you see oh, the wind right. blowing the trees around. There's no indication. But there. when you put, no, but when you put your hands on the windows, you could feel the windows flexing. And uh, we used to laugh about you. There, there were um, two hand days where you had to, when you opened the door of the car, you had to put both hands on the door handle so the door didn't swing back and rip off its hinges right. uh, when it was caught in the wind when you got out of the car. But we, um, Lee and I went to the restaurant in the hotel we were staying in when we were holed up because of the storm and it took both of us full weight to push open the restaurant door 
And then we had to, we got out and held onto the balcony and waited for a lull in the wind so we could run headfirst into the wind to get back to our room. Oh. The, when they have a storm, they have an absolute doozy. And, you know, they have their weather forecast in, includes winds, storms, rainstorms, and earthquakes. Ooh. Wow. Because they have so many of them. But it is. I can't imagine what it would be like to ride there because you really, I think you would need um, to be very skilled because the weather can change so quickly. You can leave in the morning and it looks great and it's clear, but then these incredible winds pick up and that would make riding very difficult. And through the West Fields, once you start going down into the into the um, lower area onto the beach, it is all gravel. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, I had some friends, I haven't been for about five or six years, but I had some friends ride last summer and they were saying, I mean, it, it was very different. They rewrote a section of road twice. And the first day it was clear weather. And the second, when they returned and went back out on that road, it was windy and it was really treacherous. And they were very glad yeah. to have a guide with them um, just to prepare them and kind of tell them which side of the road to be riding on and be prepared for where the winds were going to blast them as they came out of kind of a protected area into a more exposed area. So it it, it is, um, again, something that I think you're absolutely right. You, you want to be on your game and be prepared for. And I think most of the rental places that I've spoken with or, or worked with require a guide to go with you on anything that's off-road. Mm. Mm. Yeah. For a reason. It's worth the effort. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And I'm thinking that if you're riding, you're not just getting and a storm comes up. This is not the type of storm you can pull over and set up a tent somewhere then. Uh, no. You're kind of stuck. Yeah. <laughs> a, a tent in that wind. Well, well that conjures up some thoughts. Fly you to Norway. Go, yeah. Yeah, or Greenland, depending yeah. on which way the wind was going. You'd end up somewhere else, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. Paragliding. There you go. Another spectacular idea. Brian, do you have another one? Uh, no, not really. Oh, it's enough. No, no you heard. Yeah, I, got, I got yelled at before, so that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Is he sulking now? <laughs> I'm afraid he has. The bottom lip has dropped. This is very oh. sad. Well, he started mentioning the Great Ocean Road before, and then he never, <laughs> never explained it. So, yeah. Yeah. Ah, Go on. Right. Okay. All right. The Great Ocean Road. Yes. Yeah. It, look, it's an iconic road, but um, and it, and it is a good drive. It's a, it's a good scenic drive, and really, again, starting from Melbourne, it's a bit of a humdrum drive to get out of Melbourne down to Geelong, and you make your way down to Torquay, and the Great Ocean Road really starts at Anglesey, and um, there's a sign that actually says Great Ocean Road over the, over the highway and everyone sort of pulls up there and has a look. Um, and you've got to remember, this road was created out of the Great Depression um, when uh, the government tried to um, get people some money by employing them as uh, road gangs. And they, they uh, hacked this road out of the cliff face along the, um, the, the, the Great Australian uh, Bass Strait area. Um, very windy, very wild. It's known as the shipwreck coast along there. Um, and it is just a scenic, scenic um, drive. It's not very far. I think it's only about um, about 70 kilometres from Anglesey to Apollo Bay. 
that Apollo Bay is a good spot to stop and perhaps spend a night there. Go to my son's restaurant. Good job. Uh, okay. And what's, what's the name of this famous restaurant? <laughs> it's called the Birdhouse Restaurant in Apollo Bay, just, just saying. But, um, but it does take you about an hour to get from Apollo more. Bay to Lawn because while the distance isn't very uh, – it's not very long, the road is narrow, it is windy. They have reduced the speed limit on it to 80 k's because of the number of crashes. Uh, it's, it's a very tourist, uh, touristy road, but if you base yourself at Apollo Bay, there's other rides you can do up through Skeens Creek and, the Otway ranges. and go up through the Otway Ranges up through there. You can do a loop that brings you back around – towards Cape Otway, um, and uh, there's a little dirt road that leads uh, into an area where there is a redwood forest, mm. and these redwood trees were um, from the California redwoods, and some entre entrepreneur way back when, uh, over 100 years ago, decided that they would try and uh, reproduce the redwoods here in Australia, and it is mm. literally the Redwood Forest. Um, and you can go on from Apollo Bay to um, Port Campbell, which is yeah, yeah, really a, a major part of the shipwreck coast, and then all the way through to Warrnambool, which is lots of seafood. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. no look, uh, we're talking about things to see. Um, if you leave a, um, Apollo Bay, spend a night there. Do that loop I was telling you about and then um, start off again on the Great Ocean Road heading west. You come to Cape Otway and you you take the turn off and go into the Cape Otway Lighthouse. And, koalas. Uh, koalas everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, you, if you don't oh. see a koala, you're not trying. But um, And unlike uh, your bears over there, they don't want to eat you or, or claw you. Um, they just want to sit in a tree and go to sleep, eat their, eat their gum leaves and get stoned basically. It's it's there, uh, <laughs> and they're so cute and cuddly looking too. I mean, our bears are too, but but they make yeah, really yeah. vicious sounds, don't they? They growl. Yeah, yeah. growl. Yeah, they it's growl. a sound that shouldn't come out of something that looks that cute. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> After um, Cape Otway, which is worth a walk to go through and see the lighthouse, and that's the the southernmost point, um, and nothing between there and um, really Antarctica. Um, you, you can then get back on the road and head out towards 12 Apostles, which I think there's only 10 left now. Oh, might it's, even be less. They keep falling the, into the sea. The uh, erosion is slowly but surely whittling him away. It's Again, it's a bit of a tourist trap, but the road is spectacular to ride through there, and there's plenty of little pull-offs to go and uh, watch the wild ocean um, all that way, uh, all right along that coast, isn't it, Sure, mm. really? And yeah. Cheryl's right. You can make your way across to... Port Campbell, um, which is again worth a, a little stop. There's a nice um, uh, if it's if the weather's good. There's a good nice beach, beach to swim and uh, things like that. Um, and then make your way over to Warrnambool. It, it, it's probably a two day journey, no more. Uh, you could see most of any of that, or three days if you wanted to do that loop I was talking about. But again. A lot, of, a lot of people would come in and stay at Lawn for a night and then go on to Apollo Bay and explore the Otways and stay at Apollo Bay and then yeah. move on maybe a night at Port Campbell and then yeah. finish at Warrnambool. And then if you wanted to, you could, as we've talked about before, come back the same road or you can come back on the highway. 
which is a straight yeah. a straight quick run, and you can do Warrnambool to Melbourne in four hours. Five hours. Oh, you two have just brought back so many memories. I'm just sitting here in silence thinking, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. such a nice road. Hey, Brian, what's the skill level you think for that? Oh, look, I'd say it uh, wouldn't have to be high skill level, medium. medium. I wouldn't think it any more than that. There is, a, there is a hire bike company down there at Apollo Bay now called 73 Moto. Mm-hmm. It's the only one along the coast road, I think. But the, the thing you have to be careful of, and most of the people listening to this are probably the culprits, is forgetting what side of the road you should ride on. <laughs> and yes. there are signs all the way down the Great Ocean Road saying, we drive on the left. Um, just to remind people, particularly coming out of the um, the lookouts where you can pull off the road and have a look at the, the scenery. And then when you come back on, there are big signs to, re- to remind people what side of the road you need to be on. And unfortunately, during the peak summer seasons prior to COVID, there were occasionally quite serious crashes on the Great Ocean yeah. Road because of people forgetting, you know, and just going back to their natural side of driving. And if you go down the Great Ocean Road during uh, summer, there are fishermen's co-ops at, um, there's a great one at Apollo Bay, a pretty good one at Lawn, where you can get spectacular fish and chips or even better crayfish. (laughs) Yeah. I've driven it a few times and I can definitely recommend it. It's excellent. Well worth the ride. Yeah, it is, isn't it, Grant? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, so Sam, do you have another one? I do. Um, This one's from Ecuador, um, which is one of the most environmentally diverse countries in the world. It's a land of volcanoes and it's part of the Pacific, so um, so so-called Ring of Fire. There are 452 volcanoes in this Ring of Fire. Um, This ride is going to take you from the volcanic mountains down to the Pacific Ocean and then up and across those mountains and down into the Amazon. So it gives you a a really good solid taste of what a special country um, Ecuador actually is. So we're looking at about 1,400 miles and it's mostly asphalt in one form or another. Some of it's a bit knobbly. skill level, um, some experience, but that mostly comes um, from the fact that Ecuadorian drivers can drive really fast and not pay very much attention to road signs and traffic lights and things like that. So you have to assume nothing except that the unexpected is going to happen. So fly into Quito. Um, pick your bike up and go. If you're heading down from the USA and Canada, then you won't have um, a huge time zone change because it's only about an hour um, behind Washington, D.C. So the first day um, starts off in um, Quito and it's just a really short ride, an hour and 30 minutes to um, a town called Otavalo. Um, you'll drive over the Ecuador, uh, the equator as you do this. And of course, Ecuador is Spanish for equator. And stay in Otavalo. It's worth taking some time out because it's a really pretty town, adobe buildings, many cobblestone streets, and Indian people who traditionally wear their traditional dress. And the market is absolutely fascinating, but you need to be there in the dawn. So day two, go from Otavalo down to the coast um, to um, the port of Esmeraldas. This is about a six-hour, 200-mile journey. And this is going to take you down to more level ground and you'll be going through huge banana plantations and right down into an area of swamps and mangroves. Such a, a contrast to the mountains. 
if you like dirt tracks and you don't know, mind how many hours you're doing, then you can do loops off the main road um, and then just duck back on again. But um, yeah, well, six hours in a strange, in an unusual country is probably enough um, to begin with anyway. Um, the beaches aren't particularly beautiful in Esmeraldas, but it is a, a great spot to, to cool off from the humidity. And for once on the west coast of South America, the water is actually quite warm. Um, mostly down um, the coastline, you've got the Humboldt Current, which is um, a cold current, um, and it makes the, the water too, too chilly to, to go bathing. But don't go swimming there. Um, save that for just a minute. Now, Esmeraldas is um, a really interesting city to to wander, so um, do take some time out at the end of the day. And the history is absolutely fascinating. In the times of slaves in South America, it was where many escapees made their way to because it was hard to get to overland in those days, so the slaves were hard to follow. And the culture of the city is really strong with its African roots, so music and food and so much more. The city is an absolute buzz. Um, the best time to be there is in early August for the independence celebration um, where it's just party time day and night and this works quite nicely for um, later on but I'll come back to that. Uh, the worst time to be there is July, uh, January to April because that is full on rainy season and yeah not pleasant. So day three is just a short hop and that's from Esmeraldas down to um, a place called Playa Escondida and it's only about 40 miles but this is an ecological refuge and it's just beautiful landscape and wild um, wildlife and the refuge only has capacity for about 30 people but it's really cheap to stay there um, there is a secluded place with shade for camping and so on and Birgit and I um, stayed there when we were um, on the big trip and back then um, there weren't showers and that was um, I've told this story before I know um, where I was bathing in the stream because that's all there was and a snake swam past me in the water and Birgit was cracked up laughing um, but anyway there are showers now but um, um, there's lots more I can describe about this beach but it, it is a lovely place to, um, to go and stay now the longest day of this um, loop is day four and that's from Playa Escondida up to Guaranda and this is about nine to ten hours it's only about 310 miles but it's on a lot of smaller roads um, it's it's nice steady riding um, and you get long sections where there's hardly any traffic at all but it gives you a really good cross section of coastal and central Ecuador as it rises up to um, around 8,700 feet now Guaranda itself isn't a town that many tourists visit I liked it um, it's built on seven hills um, and if you've got the energy for an evening stroll, the squares and the back streets are, are really pretty. A day five, um, that takes you from, uh, from Guaranda to Puyo, but via Volcan Chimborazo. And this is about um, four hours with 118 miles. Um, you're going to take a chunk of time out in the middle of that to visit Chimborazo, um, which is the highest peak in Ecuador. It's a snow-topped volcano. It isn't inactive, um, but it is quite beautiful and a must-see. Now, the altitude um, means that on a clear day, you can actually see it um, from the coast. Mm -hmm. Now, the next section... Um, have lunch in the picturesque town of Banos. A lot of people stay there um, when they're traveling, but yeah, it's very busy. It's very pretty. Um, one of my strongest memories from there is the toffee makers. And to get the right consistency, um, they make the toffee and they pick it out of the pot in a great big lump and they hang it on a hook hanging off the wall. And they just, they just take it and stretch it and they then make it into a ball again and lump it on this pole and then they stretch it back out again. And it requires muscles, but this, this toffee is very, very tasty. 
Now, when you're riding down in this area, you're going to be riding alongside rivers that flow straight into the Amazon. Um, and to the south of you as you ride, um, then you'll have Volcan Tungarwa. And I can never pronounce that either. <laughs> um, why stay in Puyo? Well, it's not so well visited, but it's still got hotels that are around the $20 mark. Um, and it's a nice short day after the long schlep the day before. And, it, and that short day's riding does give you a chance to enjoy the volcano and banos and so on. You might want to stop off for lunch in the market city of Ambato, which is um, where a lot of other um, travellers stay. We stayed there. We had more time. Um, it's really colourful and lots of leather buying opportunities. So if you fancy um, leather gear to strap on your bike or handbags or leather jackets and things like that, it's a great place to go. Now, when you stay in Puyo, you've dropped um, down to 3,200 feet and you're right on the edge of the jungle. And the surrounding roads are sort of one laners in places and waterfalls over the roads and, and so on. It's really pretty. Um, and of course, you can feel the heat of the Amazon down there. Now, day six, um, that's Puyo to Quito via a town called Tena. And this is about five hours and 170 miles. You're going to be way down at 1,200 feet and you'll be right in the rainforest. And this is a steamy ride, but it's just amazingly beautiful. If you like jungle, um, you're going to be surrounded by it. And the best time to visit here is August, September, so um, climate-wise. So that fits in very well with the parties in Esmeralda. You do have an option to go on a, a different return route to Quito via Ambato again, so you're retracing your route a little bit, and then um, Volcan called Paxi. It's roughly the same distance, so five hours and um, about 170, 180 miles. And day seven, well, that's a day that you just have to give to Quito. It's a World Heritage Site. Um, and I'd start off the day by um, riding out to Mita del Mundo. It's about 15 miles um, out of town. And this is so it is claimed, the equator line. It's madly tourist. It is fun. But the monument that's been built is actually not in the right place. The government still tries to play this down a little bit. Um, but um, the French got it wrong back in 1736. And it was only discovered that it was wrong when GPS came to the fore. How embarrassing. Um, the real equator is um, just a few minutes away at the Intinan Museum. Now, I would hop back into town and then spend the rest of the day wandering Quito. There's so much to see. Um, the Santa Clara Market, the old town Ecuador, which is, you know, cobblestone streets and um, steps up through and so on. I really like this city. Um, and from an overlander's point of view, it's a great place to get things done. Paperwork, visas, shipping, flying, bike repairs, and all of those sorts of things. You can do this loop. It'll take you a week. It'll be absolutely fascinating, but it'll make you want to, to stay in more. Um, and there are companies in Quito that you can rent bikes from. Um, one of them in particular has GPS routes planned um, and all sorts of different routes. Um, but you can rent BMWs and KTMs and um, one particular company had a Nord and, and, and so on. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an absolutely lovely route to ride. It'll give you such a good taste of um, what Ecuador is all about. We visited Bariloche after yeah, they'd had yeah. a big eruption yeah. and riding into it, there was just a sea of grey. Yeah. Um, all the plants had died and uh, there were still mountains of ash that may be two metres high that they virtually used a snowplough yeah. to push the ash off the road so you could go in. And the lake 
which apparently is really quite beautiful, was just grey. It was pretty yucky. But we were welcomed with open arms because there'd hardly been any visitors into the town. So every time we walked past a cafe, they'd try and grab you by the arm and drag you in. But um, (laughs) it's a great place to visit, but it was really odd to be somewhere that had had, uh, experienced such a big um, ash cloud from the – Volcanoes. Mm-hmm. And is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, is. it is lovely. So, yeah. Um, but what an experience because, yeah, it just, it just shows the, the power of, of what a volcano can do, eh? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Ecuador is one of my favorite countries, if not my favorite country in South America. So much to see. Lots going on. Quito's beautiful. And we have a Horizons Unlimited meeting in Quito. Wow, there's another shameless plug by Grant. (laughs) Absolutely shameless. (laughs) I have no shame, believe me. (laughs) Anyway, 8th and 9th September. There you go. What is it? 8th to 9th of September. Okay. Well, that's perfect. So you can do the loop that I'm talking about and end up celebrating in Quito. Well, Indeed you can. The Sierra Alisos Hotel de Campo. It's a lovely little place, very motorcycle friendly. The owner has a couple of bikes and does lots of traveling on them. Perfect place to stay too. But Grant, you, sh- you should take it easy because you have the Dakar coming up and you've, you've got to yes, make sure I you're know. in top shape for that. So don't, <laughs> don't push yourself in these other areas. Do you have another one, Grant? Yeah, I have, I have to choose. You have Do to I? choose, yeah. I have nine passes in South Africa. I've got a loop of Kyrgyzstan, and I've got the Columbia Icefields Parkway and the historic route through BC. Take your pick. Mm, wow. Or I can do all of them really fast. What do you guys think? <laughs> Kyrgyzstan would be the good to a comment. Yeah. You can probably add, add to the Kyrgyzstan one. I haven't been yeah. to Kyrgyzstan, uh, I'll, I'll warn you, but this is something that I've heard lots of good things about, and uh, it sounded absolutely yeah. fascinating, and it's now it's on my list of places to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is after the um, the Dakar, is it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, might, it might actually be a build-up to the Dakar. Give me a <laughs> There you go. Warm-up. Yeah, I think the skill level for this one would be high for sure. Um, crazy drivers, animals on the road everywhere, um, lots of dirt, lots of gravel, lots of poor poor quality roads. But you, you base out of Bishkek where you can definitely rent bikes. There's several places that have bikes of decent quality for you to take out for a ride. Um, and of course, you're on the Silk Road, which was the old network of trade routes between China and Europe. So there's lots of different things. There's Lots of history in the area, lots of things to see. So if you start in Bishkek, then you're heading south, and I'll actually post a map of the route, which will make it a lot easier. But things you're going to see, there's 7,000 meter mountains, nomadic tribes living with horses and yurts and all the rest of it, and deserts, mountain valleys. People are very friendly, and they all want you to come in and share a cup of tea with them. Um, there's languages are Kyrgyz and Russian. Not very much English, so you might want to take a phrase book with you. You want to go best in late spring to avoid the early spring flooding and to avoid the summer heat. It gets really, really hot in the summer. Very, very cheap. Uh, You're looking at like three euros for a restaurant meal. You can stay in a yurt for around four or five euros, including breakfast. You can wild camp anywhere. 
Um, bike rentals will run you about 100 euros a day, but make sure you book in advance because there are a shortage. There's not a lot of bikes. You want to make sure you, it's going to be sitting there waiting for you. Um, some highlights, the Tashrabat Caravansary, which is a, a market. Lots to see there. Lots going on all the time. There's some fantastic mountain lakes to see at Lake Songkol and Tosor. Uh, Lake Isikkol is one of the largest high mountain lakes in the world. And the Tosor Pass Road is spectacular, windy, twisty, definitely high level of skill. So there's lots to see there. It'll take you about a week, roughly. You could do it in two if you want to take your time. It's roughly 1,500 kilometers, which you can cut down by a couple of hundred kilometers, depending on whether you go around Lake Isikol or turn left at Tokop, which is along the shore. So, and you can stay at the side of the lake in yurts. Lots of places to camp, lots of choices. So that's that's something worth looking at. Okay, Brian and Shirley, yeah. you guys have been there. Yeah, we um, have. Yeah, we, yeah. have. We, we um we didn't spend that much time in Kyrgyzstan, but we spent a lot of time on the Silk Road, staying at um, Samarkand and Bukhara, and you get the history there. And up in Kyrgyzstan, you get the the lakes and um, green pastures, and it really is very very beautiful. Do not drink the white stuff that they put into empty Coke bottles because that is fer fermented horse milk and oh. it would kill a small dog. It is just <laughs> <laughs> Don't say you haven't been warned. Uh, Grant, so do you, do you want to do one? You did, I think you talked about the Icefields Parkway when, when we did our, our seven wonders of motorcycle travel. We did. Didn't you? Right. So do we you want did, to do but South I was going to kind of skip. Oh. Well, I was going to skip the, the Icefields Parkway because and just say we talked about it last episode, listen to that. Okay. But you can go from the Icefields Parkway and keep going. And this is a ride that Susan and I have actually planned to do ourselves. I mean, I've done it years and years ago, but we're going to do it again after the Nacusp Can West Travelers meeting in July. So this is our week-long ride that we're planning. Oh, nice. So... Um, I call this the history and ice fields, history and ice, easy paved roads. It's not, there's nothing complicated or difficult about it, but we're going to go from the cusp to Invermere, Golden, through Banff National Park and up to Columbia Ice Fields uh, to Valemount, which is the most remote town in BC. And that's saying something for British Columbia. From there, pass through Prince George, I don't recommend staying there particularly. Turn south to Quinell and Barkerville. Barkerville is, some of you may have seen the, the TV show or movie Deadwood. That's what Barkerville looks like. It's completely restored. It's mostly original. It's the gold rush town where the big British Columbia gold rush was happening. And they do all the, the full tourist thing. There's all the, you, you can see that there's an original 1830s blacksmith working away, doing his thing. Uh, the whole thing, it, it's really, really interesting. Lots of history going on there. Um, it deserves a lot of time. You plan on a full day there for sure. So check out that. Um, you're looking at 2,100 kilometers from Barkerville down through Quinell, through Kamloops, and back to Nacusp. So that's a loop of 2,100 kilometers. It's an easy seven-day trip. We've got it planned for seven. I don't think there's any difficulty doing that. And, of course, you could always add on. Now, that's basing out of Nacusp, which is seven hours from Vancouver, or I think it's four hours from Calgary, 
or you could pick up starting Calgary and save a little bit of time and just do the loop anyway. But it's a great loop. It takes you through some absolutely beautiful, spectacular section of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, lots of history, lots of roads to see. Good ride. Mm-hmm. Beautiful area. There, there's a side trip to Quinell Forks in there as well, below south of Barkerville. And Quinell yep. Forks is another ghost town that you go into. But it, it's really neat because it is preserved. They're working on preserving it, but it's not near as touristy as what Barkerville is. Barkerville is very, very touristy. Um, yeah. But Quinell Forks, is you, you can camp right there in it. And, and wander around, and it's quite beautiful. Yep, well worth a stop there. Yeah. yeah. Barkerville is, I mean, I've been there briefly. I was only there for a few hours. I said, you know, this is very touristy, but it's very well done. Mm-hmm. It feels right. So I think it's worth, worth a stop. Right. And then you've got the lake there, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's so much to see. Yeah, there's, there's tons to see. Okay. Is that, does anyone else have one that they, they wanted to get in here before we do our plugs? Okay. Well, I tell you what, I'll just pop in a very, very quick one. Um, and that's the, the Northwest 500 in Scotland. This mm. route's just over 500 miles. And the loop takes you around northern Scotland. And it's just stunning coastal scenery, white sandy beaches, amazing mountains, tiny little remote fishing villages, Scottish history, and so much more. It'll take um, seven days, six if you rush it a bit, because some of the roads are really quite small. And there are so many must-stop viewpoints and small villages that, um, to, to see along the way. And technically, um, it belongs. It begins in the city of Inverness, which isn't, um, doesn't really have an international airport. So you'd hop in from with a, a changeover from one of the London airports. Best time of year to go there, um, I reckon, um, late April, May, because there are less milli- mi- people and less midges. And yes, you can hire motorcycles in Inverness. There we are. That was okay. quick. Well, let's uh, let's move into plugs. And uh, Grant, what do you have for a plug? Travelers meetings, all kinds of them. Wow, we have a... a, a- just so many. I can't even imagine not going to all of them, but I'm not going to make it to all of them, some of them. But for those of you who can, Can West is July 13 to 16, Newfoundland, August 1 to 4, Switzerland, August 17 to 20, Romania, August 25 to 27, France, September 15, 17, and a new one, Austria, September 21 to 24, and of course the Germany autumn one in the first weekend in November, and South Africa I think is the second weekend in November, and we mustn't forget Ecuador, 8 to 9 September. So a whole raft of them wherever you are, there's got to be one close to you, and if you're not close to one, well, get on your bike or get on an airplane or whatever it takes and get going somewhere interesting. Do something fun. Get out and ride. Absolutely. Horizonsunlimited.com forward slash events is the website. Amen. How you forget that every time. No I know you're going to do it and it's more fun when oh, you is do that what it. it is? Oh, okay. Like a joint. <laughs> yeah. I get it. No, I get it. I like that. Okay, good. Uh, Sam, what do you have for plugs? Okay, well, um, as this is going to be the last rule before I get back to the USA, I'd like to pop in the plug for the places that I'm going to be presenting at on this trip. And some of them you'll have heard me mention before, but there is a, a new venue in there too. So the first one is BMW MOA um, for their 50th National Rally um, and celebrating, of course, 100 years of BMW motorcycles. And that's um, the 8th to the 10th of June near Doswell in um, Virginia. Um, the second one is up at BMW Motorcycles of Detroit on Saturday, June 17th. 
And then um, Windy City International Motorcycles in conjunction with the Chicago Region BMW Motorcycle Owners Association. And that's on Thursday, um, June 22nd. And many thanks to Mark, John and Patrick for help setting this up. Um, then I'm off up to uh, Moon Motorsports in Monticello, Minnesota at um, Saturday 24th of June. And then the next, I've got a bit of a gap, and this is where I'm hoping to get across um, to see you, Michelle, and um, to explore some of South Dakota. Fingers um, crossed. I really hope so. I'll be on the phone. Um, let's have a natter. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so the next one is um, Clinton County Motorsports in um, Wilmington, Ohio, and that's on Thursday, July 22nd. And many thanks to Brent Miller for helping set this up. And then um, Kissel Motorsports, the Soggy Bottom Moto Fest from the 27th to the 30th of July in Port Matilda, Pennsylvania. And many thanks here to Sean Thomas and Louise Colin Powers for making this work. And then the final presentation is at Morton's BMW, Saturday, 5th of August in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, and I hope some of you guys listening can join us. Um, I promise you an evening of entertainment. Very nice. Very exciting. You got to be really pumped as it gets closer. Oh, it, it's just a couple of weeks to go now. And yeah, the, um, big smiles. And of course, how many pairs of socks do I pack? Oh, yeah. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> what? Don't forget your half <laughs> toothbrush. Absolutely. <laughs> I've, I, and I've, I've drilled holes in my, my, my new spoon, Shirley. You'll be pleased to know. Next thing you know, you'll be on a unicycle, just one wheel. <laughs> <laughs> what, wheelie all the way? Yeah. <laughs> Brian, what have you got? Okay. Uh, as, as you know, I was press-ganged into being the host of the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride here in Castlemaine um, by my mates, which, um, yeah, I, maybe I shouldn't drink so much, but anyway. Um, th thanks, everyone, for coming out for the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride on the 21st of May. 48 riders. We've raised well over $8,000, and uh, we're sitting around about 159 out of 720 as, of, of fundraisers around the world. So it's a great effort from everyone, and um, I really appreciate it. Thank you all. Wow, very nice. 8000 bucks. Very nice. Wow, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And uh, just one what? other thing. Just yep, one other thing. If if anyone's got any um, CB three fifty fluted side covers, let me know. We. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> this, is, this is Brian's part collection plea here <laughs> for his new motorcycle or new old motorcycle. Shirley, have you got a plug? No, I don't. I, I'm just gobsmacked out. My husband's blatant. <laughs> begging it. <laughs> you know, is it me or are the motorcycle purchases getting closer together? No, they're definitely getting closer together. Uh, they are, definitely. They? Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. It's, you know, it's worrying, you, Brian. You, you want to watch him, he might be going through a midlife crisis. This <laughs> last one, we went to the the biggest fault. the biggest town near us, which is 30 k's away to do a, an awareness event for the um, animal welfare charity that I'm involved with. And Brian said, I've just got to go for a drive. And when he came back, he said, I've bought a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, in a way, yeah, that's, sure. that's kind of good. You know, you're doing, he's doubling up, right? Like doing two things. It's, it's that old thing, right? With motorcycling, you do two things with the one. You're making a trip, he did an extra trip. 
Yeah, that's right. He doesn't need your support. Thank you very much. But I don't think it matters if I give it or not. It's just going to happen. No, that's true. <laughs> Michelle, what have you got? Uh, yeah, so I'm a national president of the Women's International Motorcycle Association. We fondly refer to as WEMA, um, the USA division. And we are having our national rally in Maggie Valley, North Carolina, later this year, September 14th through the 16th. Um, so it's open to women riders, whether they're WEMA members or not. If women in um, within riding distance, that could be uh, people from Canada or any other country or women who want to fly in from overseas, if it, they'd like to come and check out our rally, you're welcome to do so. So you don't have to be a member to attend if you're interested in learning more about the Women's International Motorcycle Association group. This would be a great place to check it out. And, and you it's can a get... beautiful area, isn't it? Absolutely Yes. Beautiful. Oh, right it's... down the Blue Ridge Parkway to get there. How lovely. <laughs> exactly. There is really just an amazing number of incredible rides in that part of the world, Sam. So mm -hmm. yes, thank yeah. you for the reminder. Um, and for information, you can email us at info at wimausa.com. That's W-I-M-A hyphen USA.com. Um, or there's information on that website as well, wimausa, wima hyphen USA.com. Now, Michelle, WIMA's been around for how long? A long time now. Uh, since 1950, it was formed by a woman, an American woman named Louise Sherbin. And she used to ride, I mean, she just sounds like she was an incredible person, very inspiring. She used to ride um, trials bikes in Canada in the 30s, in oh, the 1930s. Wow. So right around the forests of uh, New England and uh, into Canada. And she met a number of women from around the world, of course, decades before anything like, you know, speedy communication systems. But she wrote letters and had pen pals with other women motorcyclists from around the world and decided to form the organization as a way of connecting women riders to each other so they could support each other and, you know, share information and, and um, stay connected if they were traveling overseas or seeing each other at future events so that they had someone to ride with. And yeah, it, it still lives on after 73 years. We have divisions in 40 countries around the world. So it's it's a great group. Yeah, that's amazing. So and, and at the fantastic. rally, what are you doing at the rally? Fantastic. So at the rally, this is our USA national rally. There's actually one international rally uh, each year. The one this year for WEMA is actually going to be in France. Next year, it's going to be in Australia. So uh, Brian and Shirley, heads mm. up. I'm hoping to head your mm -hmm. way. Excellent. Um, great. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Nice. And then okay. we just started doing national rallies for the USA last year. The first one was in the Black Hills. I cheated. I put it in my own backyard because I know the the riding so well. Um, <laughs> this year, we're going out to Maggie Valley to, as Sam rightly pointed out, to the Blue Ridge Parkway. Tail of the Dragon is nearby. Foothills Parkway, Cherahala Skyway. Um, and we just, we ride, we get together and share stories. It's a three-day event. Um, we're really just about kind of networking and creating friendships with other American riders so that um, women have a place to come out and ride with uh, fellow members and, and hopefully find community and make friendships and, and share the experience together. And people of all riding styles, backgrounds, levels of experience are welcome. And I think they'll have a great time. Very nice. Uh, Wimma-USA.com. Hey, oh. listen, have you, Michelle, have you read um, Grace and Grit? 
I have not. What's that? Ah, um, it, um, it's uh, it, a friend of mine, Paul Chavin, um, lent it to me. And it's the story of um, early women motorcyclists um, in the United States. And if you haven't Ooh. obviously not read it yet, do. Um, nab a copy if you can find them. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. Back in the days when women were riding um, across the United States um, and there was no talk. Um, it's all dirt and gravel and riding on um, what to us is ancient Indians and ancient Harley Davidsons and so on and so on. Um, some of the names I think um, readers will recognize when, when they read it, but um, other ones um, I'd never heard of these people before. So it's, um, it's fascinating to watch the development of um, the road system in the United States, but also the, just the sheer courage. And I'll tell you what, these, these riders, um, most of them just put my ability to shame it's um yeah it's fascinating oh thank you for the lead i'll have to track mm. and copy down yeah nice one it's interesting that with that um is that that women have been in riding right from the very beginning yet it's not recognized sort of until now i mean that goes with many things i mean this is coming from an era when women would invent things and they wouldn't be able to put their name on it because mm -hmm. they'd have to put some guy's name on it you know i think it's just right. amazing how history is written that's yeah, so no, true. absolutely. By then, I when when a lot of these um, women were riding, and they were supposed to be wearing long dresses and knitting and having tea parties and things like that. So to be yeah. climbing on board motorcycles and learning how to to fully maintain them and you know all of this sort of stuff, um, yeah, fabulous, good on them. Well, even just the courage to do it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in a time when it's socially unacceptable. You know, I mean, yep. you see some of those stories. I, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty amazing. And I just think it's incredible how it's only now that people are actually recognizing this. And we're hearing, it seems like we're hearing more and more stories of women who've ridden back in the day when people, I don't know, sort of assume no women were riding. Yeah. It's so true. And I think that yeah, this book that Sam mentioned, and I know there are a couple of others that, that I've um, read, and some of the stories are exactly that, that grandkids are finding old photographs in the attic of, you know, maybe a deceased grandparent and discovering that they had a grandmother or great-grandmother who rode motorcycles in yeah. the early 1900s yeah. and really, you know, having that history and experience that they never talked about yeah. because it wasn't something that was really you know, maybe in some cases it was even frowned upon. So not necessarily supported because it just wasn't, it wasn't common. It wasn't ladylike, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it, so if they knew about it, they just wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. It's one of those things, a dirty little secret sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And they were pioneers, very yes. brave. And, and yes. I think it's just, uh, it's fascinating. But you also mentioned about the, the woman who had done the, the trials riding. Mm -hmm. they're, they're not only riding, but they were highly skilled, just as skilled. And, and in some cases, uh, I'm thinking of like Pat Jakes, for instance, yeah. higher skilled mm -hmm. than the guys around her. I mean, when Pat was young, you know, she was riding with guys who were getting frustrated. I think she told a story one time about a kid breaking down in tears because he was so frustrated that she beat him, you know, in, in oh, this wow. race. So, I mean, it's, yeah. um, and you just don't hear about this stuff. And I'm, I think now we're hearing about it more, but it's interesting. Yeah. I think there's an, any number of amazing stories out there. So it's, it's really fun to find them and, and to share them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess we'll wrap things up there. And I know we've been a long time. Thank you very much, everyone. It's been great fun. And um, I guess we'll talk to you next month. Sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah. Ducky duck. Yep. 
Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a motor traveler that also has a couple of great motor travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here, adventureriderradio.com. Adventure Rider Radio.